0: This is Changeling the Podcast.
1: Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host Josh, and with us is your other host Puka. Say
0: hi Puka. I'dally hi. What are we talking about tonight Puka? Well, in keeping with our spoopy October sequence of episodes, we will be investigating horror as a theme in Changeling. Oh, but isn't Changeling that
1: light and fluffy game that, you know, it's about a bear holding a balloon? it and...
0: It is infinite. It contains multitudes. Yes. When the subject matter of your game is literally anything imaginable, that leaves a lot of room for both opportunity and error, I suppose.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's uh, dive in, I guess.
0: Sploosh. Yeah. Um, To your comment about is Changeling actually harder? I think it's important, first of all, to remember that we are dealing with a World of Darkness game, and that is kind of the intention, is that the World of Darkness is like our world, but darker. And, mm-hmm. you know, that darkness includes all of the sort of horrific things possible and some of yep. those fit well into changeling some of them fit well into other games and yeah i, I do want to say you know if
1: you like changeling and it's not a horror game for you that's great we're not trying to say that's bad Absolutely. Or doesn't belong or something but we are talking about horror in changeling specifically <laughs>
0: I have this theory that when people gripe about Changeling being too light and happy, what they're actually reacting to is not a perceived lack of horror. They're reacting to more foregrounding of hope than you get in the other games, with the possible exception of mage. Or
1: arguably wraith,
0: but... uh... True, true. But certainly not vampire or werewolf, which are bleak through and through, or, you know... The way towards all things good and happy and bright is so slim and impossible that you might as well mm-hmm. give up on it. Unless you're a wer spider, but that's a different story. Which are horrific in their own way. So
1: yes, they're they're more changeling like, I think. Yeah.
0: In any case, with changeling, I think because the possibility of lightness is also there, it makes the darkness seem less total than you might get in one of the others. I mean, vampire literally takes place almost entirely at night. So it is very dark, especially Mm. if you're a setite. I'd like to kind of theorize horror a bit. I mean, what does horror mean to you? How would you define it?
1: Well, I
0: don't like the common definitions of horror
1: Mm. because there's a lot of things that people would classically think of horror that personally I'm meh to dislike on. And there's a lot of things that people lump in with horror and Arguably a horror that I really like. So
0: Such as?
1: Well, I find like when we talked about sort of creepy or what's unsettling. Mm. That stuff I love, but I don't find it has any connection to fear really for me. So I don't want to go to a game table generally and be afraid, for instance. Mm. Yeah. And horror is broader than just inducing fear in the, I mean, it's a role-playing game. It's not quite the same as watching a movie, but of the consumer of media, or there is a part of a role-playing game where you are kind of like a viewer, even though you're also participating. Yeah. And from that perspective, very specific LARP experiences aside, I'm not big on being afraid at the game table, but I can still enjoy lots of dark themes and actions and, things like that. It can go into pretty dark places in some of the games that I'll enjoy, right? So that that sort of gets into, you know, what is horror. It's a word that people use. Yeah. And definitely there's disagreement around it.
0: You know, it's not maybe not quite as bad as like, asking what's art, but it's up there. <laughs> I, if I can put on my media studies lecturer hat for a second here. I think that there's a problem and a sub-problem with using horror as a term in the context of role-playing games and that is other forms of media. So when people say horror, they tend to be thinking I I would say of films or television rather than like Mm -hmm. novels. And I mean, there are horror novels, but the pacing and the structure and the themes that are in there are so much different than what you get in like a slasher film. I think one of the main elements that you get in visual media is the aspect of suspense. And that's really difficult to do in a tabletop role-playing session in part because, and this is sort of the sub-problem, the players have a lot of agency when it comes to you know, measuring out how long things are going to take, thinking through the things they're going to do. It's not actually a problem. It's just something that makes it difficult to incorporate horror in the film sense into a session.
1: Yeah. yeah. Even then, though, like, like, if you talk about, say, Pan's Labyrinth, right. right, where if you wanted, that's a movie that you could go, this kind of falls along some changeling in many ways, right? And I've seen that described as a horror movie.
0: I would say it's it has horrific moments in the sense that people usually mean horror when they talk about horror films. And then it mm-hmm. does have a horrific sort of background to it with the character of the stepfather mm-hmm. and the background of the Civil War and everything. And that that's a subtler form of horror that I would say, you know, it's it's removed yeah, it's- from the suspense aspects.
1: Yeah, I find it very different from a slasher film. Like, they're, yeah. at least in terms of the emotional effect they're aiming for, mm-hmm. it's very different, I find. Yeah. So.
0: Role playing games that are story heavy lend themselves better to those thematic explorations and those crafting mm-hmm. of, of narratives rather than jump scare, you know? Oh, no. I mean, you could do jump scare. You, you can also do definite
1: fear in Changeling. But yeah, yeah, I don't think it's as suited to it because you're the monster, you know, if you're doing that potentially, or at least uh, you're... Yeah.
0: I think that's part of it. But I also think that just pacing wise, it's, you can do discomfort mm-hmm. much more easily than suspense in mm-hmm. the context of a role-playing yeah. game. And
1: there are, good role, there are good horror role-playing games, like uh, oh, uh, yeah. Dread is the first one that comes out to mind. But that's not what Changelings had at its core trying to do, I don't think. You'd have to stretch things a bit to make that type of effect
0: yeah and you have to do it very intentionally if you want as, as a storyteller mm-hmm. I mean I think the most effective suspense building techniques that I've seen in a game are a storyteller you kind of do the horror movie trope of catching glimpses of the monster or hearing mysterious noises mm-hmm. you can ask for die rolls without telling players what they're for you give one little tidbit of information mm-hmm. and then let them react rather than going on for a long time yeah. so they're they're constantly at the edge of their own knowledge of the scene. And that I think is the best way to do it. But mm-hmm. to, to narrate, suddenly the door pops open and the thing yeah. with fang, with 10,000 fanged mouths leaps out. It doesn't have quite the same impact as seeing that on screen. I think you also need
1: not just consent, but active participatory buy-in from the players. Absolutely. Because compared to many other horror, like other the role-playing games even, because... A changeling PC is just very capable in many ways. They're not all the same capabilities, but there's a lot of, you know, if you think of it as like a horror based around a, a lot of horror would require there is a well horrible situation that the protagonist can't prevent. Hmm. And it's not like changelings are omnipotent or anything, but there's a lot of those situations you'd think of and you're thinking like through some, be it a book or movie or whatever. And you're like, well, no, the changeling PCs can actually deal with this problem as a problem solving exercise that they can actually overcome, not, you know, the story wouldn't just be about them responding to this inevitable necessarily. You'd have to think it through a lot more. And I think I have a lot more buy-in from the players
0: on doing that type of thing. Just on that note, I I know that you have a lot more background in kind of the LARP scene than I do. And as I prepared my notes for this episode, I was kind of thinking about the change in the tabletop landscape of including things like the green, yellow, red list of of limits, essentially, and things like X cards, lines and veils. What's your sense of how that's evolved? Because I, I get the feeling... That happened much earlier in LARP than the comparatively uh, recent rise of that practice. I would
1: say it didn't really actually. Oh, happen. okay. I mean, it depends on the LARP. It, I think some a lot of these did come out of LARP community, mm. but it was very niche. And when it kind of exploded onto the tabletop scene, the broader tabletop scene, it was also exploding onto the broader LARP scene at that point.
0: Hmm. Okay,
1: so I. I I definitely have played in LARPs in the late 90s, early 2000s, where in retrospect, uh, just like in tabletop games, I wish I had known about these safety tools <laughs> and the people running these had known about these safety tools because there were things that happened that were not great. And especially like in the changeling LARP that didn't have that before. It didn't have any more of that in the Mind's Eye Theater books, mm. the older Mind's Eye Theater books than in the tabletop books for that.
0: Well, even outside World of Darkness, though, I feel like... Yeah,
1: yeah out, out of the Nordic scene, I think there was stuff. Yeah, And I think it was also drawing from uh, improv, which is kind of LARP adjacent. Also things from the kink community and things like that.
0: Because I don't think I ever had anyone even float the idea of kind of filling out a document like that in a session zero or beforehand until maybe 2016, 2017, like very recently. Oh. So, well, the Nobilis second edition tabletop
1: book game that came out in 2003 had that as part of character creation.
0: Okay. So certain games. So, sure. yeah. I just feel that it goes a long way to helping me make sense of kind of the dynamics between, I guess, veteran World of Darkness players and newer players where the expectation of that conversation I feel like is a lot more in the air now than it was when I first started playing vampire, for example, <laughs> Back yeah. be anything goes. 90s. I mean, there
1: was, I, I was saying that when, when you, when I, my experience with Boffer LARPs in the late nineties, early two thousands did have physical safety mechanics. Sure. Absolutely. That looked very similar. And it was very much, no, we need to call time somebody there's a dangerous situation happening now like a real dangerous physical situation we need to stop and resolve this before we continue and and specific rules around that yeah and there were i remember there were certain phobias and stuff respected but it was very much more ad hoc like the same way you would at a tabletop game it's not like Mm -hmm. everybody at every tabletop game was being a
0: jerk to everyone and just ignoring what anybody asked for anything but yeah it makes me think about the sort of lordiness that came out of the 90s. Oh, that was all through 90s White Wolf LARPing too. Yeah. I can tell you that. So on the one hand, it's a relief to see that kind of give way in favor of a more mm-hmm. nuanced, accommodating space. On the other hand, it does mean that one has to be extra careful when incorporating horrific themes into a game. So
1: I would argue... And I've heard this before and other people doing tabletop, like, you know, horror gaming. It gives more freedom to incorporate. I'd argue it gives more freedom to incorporate horror. It, because, or at least, I guess it's the difference between blindly stumbling into something that could go really bad. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and being aware and having like these safety tools. They're not just for horror gaming, but I think they can help just as much with horror gaming as anything else. So you can if you have everyone at the table and they're like, oh no, I'm on
0: board for some of this really dark stuff. Yeah. It certainly makes it easier to do a tailored experience rather than just spitballing using random stuff you saw in films. So there's there's mm-hmm. certainly that. It's also the case though that every time I filled out one of those sheets, I've always added something that was I knew was a personal trigger for me. So you can mm-hmm. you can never quite be sure. Even and, and there's also situations i know i've had situations as a storyteller where a player was triggered without expecting to be by something that i never thought would be an issue so having that Mm -hmm. even even if you have a very thorough cross-section of all the possible elements that might cause discomfort in players you always have to be ready to
1: turn on a dime i've had a situation where i kind of wished we had safety tools for writing out those sheets ahead of time Mm. Because sometimes I've I've tried to do this both player as player and as a GMST where we all started going too far into the things we didn't want to have happen. Hmm. That level of exploration to me, it can also still be bad, right? I don't need to bring up these some of these topics. I don't yeah. even really want to put them on my lines and veils, right? Yeah. If, you know, they're things that I would assume won't come up, but. It depends on the game, so there are assumptions there, and I definitely don't want to get into too much detail about them. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I, but there's more to safety tools than lines and veils or, or writing everything up front, too.
0: Do you think that having that be more widely available and accepted has led to more horror being present in the RPG landscape? Yes, I think, but not as much as you might think.
1: Mm. I think there were some people that stumbled into horror and maybe things went bad without it. Mm. Uh, beforehand and now that they're they're feeling better about it uh, there were some people that were like i don't want to do that in my role-playing game because it could go badly or maybe it has gone badly for them right yeah so having this come up but i mean it's it's kind of it depends on which aspects of horror and which things like you, you talk about slashers films or something like that uh, getting stabbed in the back is kind of acceptable in most a lot of people playing role-playing games anyway
0: versus I don't know certain types of sexual violence or something right like but I would argue getting stabbed in the back is fine in combat or in a situation where you're expecting combat not Mm -hmm. after your character has walked very slowly down a dimly lit street with sounds slowly getting closer and closer behind them yeah so that that's the difference (laughs) yeah but I think I think even then like I know a lot of
1: players that would be okay with that and not okay with uh you know a romantic
0: comedy element oh absolutely yeah yeah well, romance is going to be a whole separate episode. <laughs>
1: well, romance might even be ha- handled better by these, but I, I, I do want to say that it's it, the lines and veils, or the I, I find that overemphasized sometimes. Hmm. Um, versus, I mean, you have the X, something like an X card or cut and break, where it's it's about what's happening at the moment, yeah. And and it depends on how you are playing. Like if you are all sitting around a table with the lights on, that's different from you are playing voice over Discord. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Whatever. And, like, you need different tools that way. And there's different things. Like the X card. If you actually read the official X card, like the I think it was the person who came with it. And there's like detailed things. I don't like those rules. I can see the argument behind them, but it just doesn't produce types of games I'd want to play.
0: Mm.
1: Which means you can you can do it. You can follow those rules, and if you enjoy that, that's fine. It's just not for me. Yeah, the the tools in the moment I find are pretty imp- is more important to me than the planning it out ahead of time because there's just I don't know how I'm going to respond today at this session. Mm-hmm. It'll be different than last session or the next session. I don't want to have to enumerate everything that might be triggering to me. I put a lot of stuff under yellow. I've, I've never actually seen that. I've seen lines in veils, which are uh, lines being this just does not come up in game. And veils are, they can happen off screen, but they're not like, you're not going to really
0: explore in detail. Is that like the red? And... I mean, it's basically yellow is the veil, red is the line. Yeah, red is do not include in the game. Yellow is you can mention it or have it happen off stage, mm-hmm. but there might be some circumstances where yeah. I'm not as into it in one session as another.
1: Yeah, and and then I I like a lot of that more. I uh, like that in session. What I find is good in your session zero, and I do think you need some sort of session zero like thing, possibly more than one session zero, which strange the metaphor but the the planning your chronicle and like everybody together talking about the chronicle and planning it versus role-playing your characters like starting session one i think an important aspect of safety is that everyone's got a shared idea of where this game is going and what it's going to be about yeah so you can opt in and out like you might just say okay well that's you know we might have a game where people are like okay we want to play Falling that are overthrowing the Sealy, right? That's not going to be for some people. There's no way, there's no tools, there's no safety tools you can do that'll make that work for some people because that's just not the game they want to play. I mean, that's a very extreme example, but knowing where the game is going ahead
0: of time. I, I don't think it's that extreme. I've seen plenty of people online say they would play that way, so.
1: Well, I've run games of that. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. But, but it doesn't have to even be that far, right? I mean, you can, you have a game, yeah. Changeling has, I mean, this is getting more into safety tools than horror, but like Changeling has Sealy versus Unseelie, uh, Nobles, Commoners, the different Kiths. There's definitely horror aspects like Red Cap, just throwing in Red Caps and Slua will have different horror themes there. Um, oh, you're like
0: way down my notes sheet with that.
1: <laughs> sorry, but I'm just saying there's all that stuff you have to plan ahead of time. Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. If you just picked the core kiths and picked a court and legacy at random and made characters, like five characters together, it is almost certainly going to go really badly. You want to
0: talk things out. If you want to go down horror themes, a good reason to do it. But I think you need to do that anyway. So I'd like to briefly give a shout out to Mage the Podcast that recently released an episode on planning out a session zero and a session one and talking about some of these issues in that process. Go listen. Yes. And
1: Maybe we'll do our own exploration along those themes in future games but uh i don't know is there more you
0: want to say on safety or do you want to just that i'm glad it exists and i think it's Mm -hmm. maybe even more essential for a changeling game than most other games because there is such a wide range of the unexpected it really could go in so many different directions i think mages like that too vampire werewolf maybe a little bit less because you kind of know what you're getting with those well, it's
1: like you're playing a Camarilla or Sabat game. It's like, okay, well, uh, you know what you're going to play? You
0: almost don't need as much? Yeah. It's like on the tin. I also think that the World of Darkness games, you could almost go line by line and talk about the balance between internal and external horror. So like Vampire mm-hmm. famously built itself as a game of personal horror. So it started as a very inwardly focused game of horror with the a beast i am list of beast i Mm -hmm. become and then gradually as the mythos built up and the meta plot unfolded then you had the sabat come in and be playable characters then you had the Antediluvians. then you had so you had all of these external things that you could external horrors that you could react to without thinking quite Mm -hmm. as deeply about by the way you also need to like suck human blood to survive which to me when i play vampire That's the core horror element that I think always needs to be included. That's what the game is about. Mm -hmm. So to say, like, you know, it's the old vampions trope, like, oh, we're going to get a group of six vampires together to go take down, I don't know, the to deluvian. It's like, okay, but y'all are going to still be killing humans from time to time as well. Please bear that in mind. Yeah. It also has another theme, especially if you read the first edition
1: Vampire core book, which I think is the... Closest to a version of vampire I like, yeah, um, it's
0: the purest if I want to call
1: it. Yeah, that. yeah, it's like okay, I want those themes, but like better mechanics. That's, hmm. But it also has like banality as a theme. It yeah, doesn't say yeah, it. yeah.
0: The ennui of immortality.
1: Well, not just that. The crippling social structure. You are going to be a neonate forever. Like you're well,
0: at well, least the first hundred years.
1: Well, well, it's, it's technically, but you think about it like. At least in a company or like in a human social structure, you can maybe go, Well, some of these other people might die off at some point, but everybody's yeah. immortal.
0: That's where Diablery comes in, so.
1: But that wasn't as highlighted in the original thing. it was more That's true. It, it was much more you are going to die before you ever become <laughs> an elder has much more chances of living forever than you do. And you're stuck under this oppressive social structure where you're Teaming up with these other player characters just basically is like a way to
0: it was very punk. Yeah, eventually. Th- the punk aspect, I think players tend to, with vampire, lean more into it in like Highlander style rather than I'm gonna be a peon forever. But you know. well, oh no, I mean
1: but, but it had the other one too, that other aspect of punk of seventies and eighties punk of uh okay, uh the world's against you. Screw the man. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't totally screw the man because
0: screw the man however you can. Yeah. But uh, if you push it too far, the demand's going to stomp you down. Yeah. So. so that's kind of my read on Vampire. By contrast, I think Mage started more with the external and gradually explored mm-hmm. the kind of horror surrounding hubris more and more over time as it went on, which is an interesting yes. inversion because you started with like cosmic horrors out in the Umbra and the Nifendi and all of that. And then... I'm not as familiar with Mage Metaplot as I would like to be, but with things like the House of Helicar and the Rise of Vormos and kind of the horrific things they did in their their sort of the test case of absolute power corrupts or whatever.
1: Werewolf, Mm -hmm. I would
0: say, is actually kind of some of both. Werewolf was pretty balanced almost from the start, maybe, because you had the Worm and the Fomori and everything, but then you also had... By the way, the Impergium was a thing, and Red Talons are awful, and the Get of Fenris is awful. And like... Yeah,
1: it's kind of like the Horrors of War story yeah, yeah, yeah. ramped up to 11 with some like a bunch of metal themes. Like it's kind of.
0: Yeah. And that leads to kind of interesting aspects of almost one upmanship on both sides of level of violence and level of extreme anything mm-hmm. it takes to bring down the other side. Change things, all of those. Well, yes, changeling <laughs> changeling is not any one of those alone. Changeling can yep. be any of those and other things as well. Yep. So maybe we should talk about changeling in particular. Yeah, let's do that. Let's stick to our brief. You had mentioned earlier the well, you might not have actually said the word uncanny, but the uncanny which we talked mm-hmm. about uh, yep. previously. And just to kind of reiterate those elements of the familiar becoming strange and uncomfortable where the sense of being the only one who knows something is wrong with the world you have these mm-hmm. inexplicable events and mysterious strangers and this slowly unraveling sense of reality those kinds of things i think fit very neatly into changelings yeah. in part because they connect really well with the lore of changelings this notion of like mm-hmm. a family member has been replaced I mean, I believe that's psychologically considered a delusion. It's in the DSM or whatever. But outside of that context, in the more mythic context, it gets you into that, you know, blurry edges of reality, blurry edges of human understanding themes that make for good creeping horror. So,
1: yeah. And that gets into when it comes to horror gaming, especially there's sort of two sides of horror where you know, is it about there is something horrific happening to you? Or is it about you are something horrific? Or both? Yeah, or both. Right. And and changelings very good at both.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you were just when you're talking earlier, I'm like, Oh, that sounds like the dream dance, like somebody starting to go through their chrysalis.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it'd be a brilliant chrysalis story. If you set up a session, like a prelude session for a character, I think it should be extremely uncanny, extremely unnerving. Because that's, what that experience would be like. It's that descent into madness kind of feeling with a happy payoff Mm -hmm. at the end, hopefully, but you know, yeah. Or you get Dauntane or you get Dauntane or you get eaten by the chimera flocking to you or the mages that according to the one book want to come up and suck all your glamor out or whatever.
1: Yeah. I think there may be also other changelings that might
0: not do nice things to you. Yeah. Well, in terms of the types of horror, I think that ties very neatly into the first one I wanted to talk about, which is body horror, because Mm -hmm when you think about what it must be like to see or experience the fey mean for the first time, I'd probably run screaming if horns pushed their way out of my head and my skin turned blue, for example. Mm-hmm. So, and then there are kits where like deformity is part of their build with, with all of the issues surrounding that.
1: So well, you, t- you talked about things in the DSM, like a slua who looks in the mirror yeah. and realizes they're a corpse. Like, that is also yeah.
0: it's i mean it's dysmorphia yeah
1: but also like you think you're a corpse because you kind of are one that are walking around but... no, i
0: don't know about corpse necessarily but from the external side to kind of keep with that division a bit you also have things like metamorphosis and naming and the implications of mm-hmm. losing control of your own form having a new yep. form inflicted on you being aged with the autumn art all of a sudden So those kinds Mm -hmm. of forced transformations, there's a lot of that in folklore too. And it's almost always presented as a punishment, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit hard to
1: relate to on a visceral level, but I think it also could work is the other way around with banality seeping, like, you know, you are a satyr, but now your horns
0: are going away. Yeah, absolutely. And you also just have the unholy grossness of bogeys and beasties and red caps to an extent. Mm-hmm. all kinds of opportunities for body horror there.
1: oh yeah was it the what was the there's another there's a new kiff in c20 oh no sorry it was the red cap thaline Never oh okay it. all right Gasts. yeah gasts. yeah that's like more thaline than thaline i guess because when you start from a red cap how far do you have to go
0: to beat thaline i remember when we were doing the shadow court dive and rereading the section on bogeys and there's that beautifully written line where they they talk about like you know, every now and then a bogey can be found perched on top of the victim's chest, their mouths pressed to their nostrils, sucking away or something like that. Yep. It's like, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty gross. Yep. Well, bo- yeah, bogeys are all based around the grosser end of bodily secretions. And for beasties, sometimes I think of like the scene from Lord of the Rings when the first pop out of the earth and they're just like dripping with slime and covered mm-hmm. in like sharp and chitinous edges. And it's just like, all right body horror is also good for like werewolf crossover i think i mean fomori are kind of inherently body horror yep body horrific
1: and there's a fair number of chimera yeah going yeah, yeah on that road too for sure an interesting thing to do would be changelings of the pcs are changelings your low banality people hmm. or your all kinane or something along those lines y- you can be aware enough that things are happening you're not just going to The mists aren't just going to take it all away, but everything that's sort of like, oh, the PCs do this. No, not necessarily,
0: right? Yeah. So, And that's one pole of, as banality goes down and you get closer to Bedlam or Madness, depending if it's a changeling or a mortal, it's more and more gaslighting, essentially. People saying like, you're crazy. There's nothing there. What are you talking about? And kind of the opposite pole of banality horror, you know, just... Things become muted more and more and flatter and flatter. I think that that might be
1: a little bit easier to get player buy-in than some of these other descent type games could be because no, you know, this stuff is happening. Like as a player, no, this is actually happening to your character. This is not madness. Like it's not a delusion. This is actually happening.
0: I think the issue for people who flag that as something that they're uncomfortable with. It's more because it might relate too closely to real life experience oh. oh no i don't mean flag isn't something uncomfortable <laughs> okay. there's
1: a different mm-hmm. type of player that might be just having trouble engaging with that because they're mm-hmm. like there's a lot of them where it's like okay but that's not actually happening
0: to my character why would i and the more fervently you try to convince people that it's happening well the worse yeah. things might get yeah you're facing both banality and yeah. i think we've kind of veered into the next type of horror that i had on my list which is psychological horror so but also descent into madness a little bit <sighs> I think that counts as psychological horror. <laughs> yep.
1: yep. So yeah.
0: One must always be extremely careful when handling mental health in games. So what is psychological horror specifically? That's a thing that I'm a bit fuzzy on. I would say, well, Descent into Madness is part of it, but also I would say the, the downward spiral of morality or the perversion of morality is also an important element. Mm. It's something that almost isn't necessarily horrific until you really stop and think about it. So it's less in oh. the instinctive, reactive, emotional type of horror and more cerebral, almost existential sometimes. And that, I think, is very difficult sometimes for people to, to get into a game, especially if you're expecting like an adventuring game you know, because that has to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Psychological horror is very slow-paced by comparison, usually.
1: My barrier, if I was playing in a game that was focused on that, I think the thing I'd have to get, o- like, have trouble getting over was, like, if I'm playing a changeling, mm-hmm. right? I can go pretty far into this, what would seem from the outside is the the moving away from morality, or at least what I would think of as moral, me personally. But it's like, okay, well, I'm not playing a human, though. I am playing this alien creature, only half alien. Yes. Okay. True. There's the alien half and the banality half, right? I mean,
0: no one said good role-playing was easy.
1: Yeah. But no, I mean, I would just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going into the alien thing. I I get how you could go down that path of darkness, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you actually, because I I get the impression for this type of thing to work. You go down that path, the players go down this path of darkness, but then the players are faced with what their characters have done. And that's the bit that seems a bit hard to do, that revelation
0: part. Yeah. I would never expect a player to lose sleep over something their character had done, for example.
1: No, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, even just something that would, like, have any sort of emotional impact.
0: Right. I think you have to be in it for the sake of creating a compelling narrative more than mm-hmm. necessarily having, like, a, a big set-piece scene for your character, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like... Some of the best villains in literature are the ones who aren't running around shooting mm-hmm. people or whatever. Yep, And that's players and storytellers alike, really. A lot of people just don't have the patience for that slow build. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a matter of taste.
1: Yeah, this is actually reminding me of what you're bringing up. of, one of I think one of the listener questions, I don't remember which listener, mm-hmm. how to make a Boggan or Childling as horrific as a Thaline. And I think what we're talking about here, like, if you just take the Sealy code, harsh interpretation of it, mm-hmm. yeah. you can go, like, never forgive a debt. That's scary. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, Death before dishonor you can, you, is
1: scary. Yeah, beauty is life. Love conquers like, all, all is scary. <laughs> yeah, they're all just... And I think they did that a little bit in some of the Changeling books of... Was it Duke Dre? Or one of them was a very oh, Sealy.
0: Yeah. yeah, oh, there's there are awful Sealy out there.
1: Yeah, so you just have to play up the code. That could be one thing. Uh, adherence to the Asheet could do the same thing. You are
0: doing good things according to the rules of your society. But I yeah. should point out that the comment, so it was Ferret. So shout out to Ferret for that question. Okay. But the initial question I think specified Sealy Commoner as well, which I think is an interesting yep. twist. If you have characters who are playing an unsealy motley, maybe the Sealy Commoner is their most implacable foe. Uh, and they'll do all kinds of questionable things in order to get them to behave, you know? While well, still sticking to this rigid moral code. I right. The... But even, I mean, even a Seelie Redcap has to eat. Sometimes what they eat is yep. going to be pretty horrific. A Seelie Slua is mm-hmm. still going to live somewhere that's going to give everyone who visits the heebie-jeebies. Oh, and there's nothing about, except for maybe that interpretation
1: of beauty, there's nothing in Seely stuff of preventing that. Right. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think the Boggan, uh, Sealy, you combine that with their social uh, acumen, but they also like have a constant need to help. That can also be, that can go down a very uh, familiar aspect of
0: psychological or, ab- or abusive behavior, basically. One of the ideas that I had specifically in relation to Sealy Boggan is what if you have a Sealy Boggan who takes it upon themselves to better the lives of human children that they come across? Mm-hmm. i.e. taking them from their homes and taking them back to the freehold and doing whatever they think is best to raise human children. Yep. Very classic changeling lore, but from a certain perspective, absolutely horrific. So yeah, especially when you get down to
1: what they think is best, like mm-hmm. you're giving them banality. If you go through like a there can be a very eye for an eye type on behalf of others, and that can go really dark places fast.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. For sure. Fundamentally Changelings, like every other core splat in the world of darkness, the characters are the monsters. Whether they realize mm-hmm. it or not, from the human perspective, they are, to some extent, monstrous. And monsters mm-hmm. monsters can be beautiful, monsters can be elegant, monsters can be you know, happy and enchanting and well-spoken, and they can still be monsters. They don't have to necessarily be, and that struggle against monstrosity is a compelling thread for a character to have. Mm -hmm. But I think it's sometimes helpful for the storyteller to actually kind of narrate what the characters are doing from the human perspective, just to show them that if they're careless with their actions, how nightmarish Mm -hmm. it can be for the non-changelings around them as a technique.
1: Yeah, you could even take a... uh... You could have a session where it's just okay. You're going to be playing the mortals that were in this last, like the previous sessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going through what's happening here. Absolutely. Um, an- Another thing, sort of on this psychological horror thing that came up, that just came to mind is okay. So, I mean, the obvious things would be rhapsody and ravaging, right? And bedlam. <laughs> yeah, but but musing can also be that, right?
0: Well, like
1: it's very broadly defined. What you're encouraging, I think,
0: musing can be that. But Mm it doesn't have to be no, especially with the incorporation of dark glamour into the setting, the notion of musing an arsonist, for example. Yeah, that kind of opens up a lot of possibilities and kind of demonstrates how things like horror, in some cases are a matter of perspective. Mm hmm and that's also another place where
1: you know it's it's good if you
0: have safety tools because it yeah. can
1: be very easy for different people at the table to be reading the situation very differently or misreading other people's mm-hmm. reactions so
0: and a lot of the elements of psychological harm i mean you have things like delusions and hallucinations you have suspicion and paranoia self-doubt distrust mm-hmm. emotional manipulation and perversion of the social order like all of these things that It's not quite as simple as a binary, yes or no, are there going to be spiders in the game? So, Mm -hmm. and it can so depend on how it's playing out Mm -hmm. at that table, at that moment with these people. I wanted to briefly also mention Gothic horror because, you know, Mm -hmm. we have to, (laughs) because it's kind of in between body horror and psychological horror, having some elements Mm -hmm. of both and kind of occupying this middle ground, the uncanny notched up to 11, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I find that gothic horror probably has the most possibilities. You can go in the most directions with it. I mean, when you look at a story by Poe, for example, there's often some of that gore, some of that very physical, literal viscera horror, but then that descent into madness element that you get from the psychological. So it combines those, usually with lurid, extensive description to create that atmosphere of fear and discomfort. And, and another sort of related,
1: because it is related to gothic horror, um, with the cosmic horror idea that yeah. crops up a bit. In, it's, it's not as big and changeling as like the same age, but it's there. You have the green court from Orions. You have really any trip into the deep dreaming. Hmm. The gothic horror can still be comprehensible, and it might be actually the problem is that you're comprehending this. And the sort of uh, cosmic horror thing might be more... Like you can't understand this. The player can't understand this, but your character coming to seeing a thing or or experiencing a thing or coming to terms with a thing. That's just not
0: the human mind. Can't really comprehend
1: that that can definitely
0: also come up in changeling too. Oh, but I think also there are things that the changeling mind can't comprehend either. (laughs) Yes. I don't think a changeling has an, has any easier of a time understanding greed court femorians than humans do. No, I don't even think the Tuatha de Danon understood them. Who, from... who are cosmic horrors as well, potentially. Yes. So, yep. Th- there's a concept in philosophy and aesthetics of the sublime, which is like starting with Immanuel mm-hmm. Kant and going onward. But mm-hmm. I like to think of it as that which is truly incomprehensible. We can't fully get our minds around whatever the object is that is considered sublime. And Kant mm-hmm. divided it into three categories, I think. I can never remember them, but one is the beautiful sublime and one is the terrifying sublime. And that division, I think gothic horror touches on the beautiful sublime in particular when it's set in these kind of, you know, vast, empty wastelands or it has these huge architecturally complex buildings. It's almost like the physical space itself. You can't fully take it all in, but you recognize that it's that it's beautiful. Whereas cosmic horror, it's just straight up there's this really scary thing, this thing that is going to eat you, and its teeth are innumerable. And well, it might not even eat you, it might crush you because right. it didn't yeah. see
1: you. <laughs> but yeah, and you're bringing up the sublime that oh, we need to come back on that too because that's that's so tied into changeling and glamour and mm-hmm. all of the dreaming
0: itself. So yeah because yeah. overwhelming beauty can break a person just as much as overwhelming fear mm-hmm. that's the she through and through whether or not you want to cast that as horror is up to you as a storyteller yeah. or a player but also the gilly and <laughs> all the gifts
1: really like like if you're bringing into like woodsworth or coleridge's concept of the sublime anyway I, i'm more i more know it from a romantic poetry perspective than the philosophy uh-huh.
0: but Well, I mean, it was German romantic philosophy, so it's all in the same wheelhouse. Yeah. Regardless. Gothic horror also makes a nice crossover with Vampire and Wraith. But I think with the gothic and the uncanny, I mean, it's more like telling a ghost story or a particularly lurid fairy tale. So even if there are these elements of body horror, it, it kind of doesn't dwell on them as much.
1: Yeah. If you're using changeling NPCs for a different game, changelings can definitely fit that. But I think if you have changeling PCs and you want them as the protagonists in a gothic horror, Lost Ones are probably where I'd first Mm. go on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like how in classic gothic fiction, class distinctions are often visible because a lot of it was written in Mm -hmm. 19th century England. (laughs) So, I mean, the noble commoner distinction is something you can kind of work into that but mostly just that mix of you know ghastly events with beautiful settings and the slowly increasing drama of this claustrophobic atmosphere like all of that kind of put together well like you have a high-ranking
1: unseely noble yeah in a freehold like that <laughs> that can who insists nothing is wrong yep that skull has always been there or a Sealy noble, really. It could it, the imagery might be slightly different, but a Seely noble can do that just as well. But
0: I forget if you mentioned this when we talked about Poe. But did you say you had read the story, "The Mask of the Red Death"? No, I haven't read that. I'd seen okay. uh, something something different. Well, know. so the the central conceit is that there's a plague that this nobleman decides to shut himself away in his you know palazzo or whatever, and invites all of his noble mm-hmm. friends, and they're just gonna they're gonna party until the plague passes. Very classic story. And it's that callousness towards the commoners that leads the Red Death personified to enter the party.
1: Oh, that's where I know it from. Reading Phantom of the Opera.
0: Okay. Is it discussed in Phantom of the Opera?
1: <laughs> yeah, it shows up in there. Okay, well. It basically, somebody dresses up as that and then it gets used. It's like referenced in it. Ah, well, that's a changeling story to me. Mask of the Red, so is Phantom of the Opera. but And also a gothic horror.
0: On the subject of media, I do have a few media items that I could just kind of skate through and how I see them turning into changeling story hooks. Okay. So, and these are all kind of wide ranging, but first of all, Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. where you could frame it as an up and coming Sealy Knight must rely on the assistance of one of her house's most notorious foes in order to capture a Thalane serial killer. Without giving too much away, that is absolutely. Body horror and psychological horror cranked up all the way. Mm, yeah, and you know it does work with them all being changelings, as opposed to it sure does, including the fat line, Yeah, yep. Then there's Paprika, the Satoshi Kon anime film, which is one of my favorites, where you have a shy Onira possibly a slua, living a double life as a superhero in the dreams of others. But then, when one of her acquaintances slips into bedlam and begins to blur the lines between dream, nightmare, and reality, she must resist her own fears and doubts to beat him. So, that's one, another possibility. Then, in connection with our discussion of Wraith, Nightmare on Elm Street, even though I would say the antagonist in that would be an ancient and powerful specter using the phantasm power to murder people in their dreams or whatever, I haven't played Wraith, I don't know how it works you could easily have the motley of changelings are the ones who have to get together to stop him. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure it has to be a specter, but yes, that, that works. Yeah, but I mean, you know, might as well go online. No, but a specter works the most. Yeah, that's the straightforward interpretation. Yes. Then from the Buffy episode Hush, you have the gentlemen. So a group of mm-hmm. silent bogey or even Slewa sorcerers and their minions come to town to steal everyone's voices as well as several hearts along the way. And that one in addition to the sort of gory body horror stuff, is very gothic horror. If you haven't seen the episode, it's one of the best. That would almost work better on Discord with a chat. (laughs) Just mute everybody? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. There's also the episode Nightmares where people's nightmares are literally becoming reality. I think that actually works better as like a mage crossover though with reality zones and things kind of fracturing.
1: There needs to be a place for more... um... Something making the mists slip Mm. in an area that it's not officially part of Changeling, but I think that would fit so well.
0: Something like that. Yeah. Then in the classic imprisoned in a mental facility trope that Changeling first edition traded in, but maybe not so well, you have something like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which I think works better as an inspiration because you have kind of a protagonist caught between figures in bedlam and then a really terrifying banal figure who I think it's important to remember is just as cracked as the inmates are in theory supposed to be. That's psychological horror done to a T. Yeah. When I saw that, I was thinking of a different story, uh, the midwitch cuckoos,
1: which would also.
0: I've heard of it, but I don't know. I don't really know much of it. Uh,
1: That, that works for um, people are dealing with a bunch of creepy childlings like second edition or first edition change like sense Mm -hmm. of uh, going through their chrysalis and
0: doing things. And you're like, what happened? What are these children doing? There's also um, Shutter Island, which I did see, but I saw it on a bus many years ago. So I don't remember enough of it to know more than just the fact that it's in that vein. There's also plenty of examples from comics that one could point to. You have villains like nightmare or, heroes slash antiheroes like sleepwalker who have these kind of reality warping powers based on bringing dreams into reality but the one that i want to specifically mention is dr d from dc comics slash sandman who you could cast as like a she dauntane who imprisons dreamers in their own dreams in order to ravage them to his heart's content and the players have to fight him and also he does it to fulfill his own power fantasies if you look at the sandman interpretation so mm-hmm so just some ideas, and all of those, I think, work best with Changeling, because they're very yes. focused on, they all kind of deal with the issue of whether or not what you're seeing is what's really happening. And that's, that's Changeling. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. maybe more than any of the other games.
1: Yeah. Oh, actually, anything else would be... any, Anything where you have, like, doppelgangers or people being
0: oh. placed or possessed or... You just reminded me of one I was going to put on this list and then forgot to, which is Black Swan. Good for any. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know it was about that. Yeah, it's so. If if I were okay, I'm going to impromptu think of a, a changeling description for Black Swan. A fragile Swan maiden uh, who has not gone through her chrysalis slowly goes through her chrysalis when confronted with an unseelie Swan maiden, and. What happens therein? Something like that. Lots of psychological horror, but also body horror. I think you can also do
1: something. It would not be... What's actually happening is quite different, but how it would look to regular people experiencing it, uh, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: With a bunch of... You could do it during the Resurgence with She. The timeline's a bit right. uh, It's close to that. You know, with like uh, She showing up. And suddenly every all these different people and they are like taking over like cops in Changeling and like other people of power and people with wealth. It, it's just suddenly all these
0: one day people just start behaving differently. Yep. I mean Arcadia and She are horrific. Yep. You could do an entire game from the perspective of the tithed. Yes.
1: Or from the people who just are in the lives of the Arcadian She, like mortals, going, There is something wrong here. And this that, that's not something the mists will cover. Like, yeah, the mists will cover up like nope. using magic or something but it's not going to cover up like people acting
0: weird yeah but to come back to the the notion of how to translate this into a horror game it's the kind of thing where you have to very slowly but very constantly keep your foot on the gas pedal to make it work i think Mm -hmm. it just has to keep building and keep building which can get exhausting after a while i would say you know, It's not the kind of thing that can be sustained through an entire chronicle or maybe maybe even through an entire story. But a few sessions of horror done right can lead to a really powerful chunk of a group's chronicle. Yeah, it was, it's also memory something. A
1: friend of the show, Charles Siegel. Me and him, I had this idea. I don't think it's going to go anywhere necessarily, but using Changeling as horror in a technocracy game.
0: Hmm. Some-
1: <laughs> Those reality deviants, they must be stopped. Well, they don't even know what's going on. It's like you throw in like, okay, these people are behaving strangely. You're having memory gaps.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of technocracy may be high banality, but they're not the type to just kind of ignore stuff like a typical autumn person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that could sort of be horror from both ends because from the technocracy perspective, it's like a psychological horror. What is happening is a psychological thriller. From a changeling perspective, it's unrelenting monsters coming after you that you're afraid
0: of. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, making banality horrific in and of itself, I don't think it works. I think you can have you can have a horror narrative with Autumn People or Dante or the Technocracy or whomever as mm-hmm. the villains, as the antagonists, but banality as a force in and of itself, it's hard to make it horror. Mm. I think if I were to do it, if I as an ST were to try and do that, I would want to present it as this thing that's constantly in the background, creeping up bit by bit. Charles has, I think, called it at some point an Alzheimer's simulator, which, which is horrific. Yeah. You know? But doing things like, and I don't know how I would mechanize this, but like suddenly you can't remember your oath mate's name or you can't remember how to get to the freehold or one of your past lives just suddenly isn't accessible yep. anymore you don't have to even use just
1: memory there's also losing interest which can be kind of scary in us if you can get a group of a bit older gamers together who are afraid that their lives are taking over their gaming and then you definitely reflect that in the as banality in your role playing game of them losing you could like they're a group of grumps losing touch with the dreaming kind of thing
0: i just think that the amount of work you'd have to do to really pin that down as harder. Yeah, doesn't justify the very. Maybe
1: reverse. that's maybe that's the reverse of uh, okay. Hor- these are horrific elements, but nobody's scared. This is a you're making people scared without horrific elements. It's just kind of depressing.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, but in terms of outright horror genre elements that changeling has, I mean, you have nervosa and Noknitsa as these sort of walking nightmares. Mm-hmm. You have urban legends like slenderman or bloody mary bedlam i think works a lot better as a horror concept Mm -hmm. and like that knife edge you had in previous
1: editions yeah i think it's more fun in the c20 than in the it was too far in second edition i think they loosened it up a bit too much in c20 but c20 is closer to the game i'd want to do than second ed or first ed in this regard
0: i think my issue with c20 and i i'd have to take another look to really articulate my thoughts on this but the, the issue I have with the way it's presented in C20 is that it feels more like it's more discrete with a, a TE at mm-hmm. the end. It's quantized. So it's you have bedlam triggers and your nightmare rating goes up bit by bit and you get imbalance point by point. And it just feels almost too mathematical. Whereas mm. in the older editions, it was more of like a state that you would be in. And occasionally it would come to the foreground and you would say, oh crap, this is not good. And then it would recede. And that to me felt like more of a knife edge than just, oh, I'm two points away from another dot of imbalanced willpower. I I always found
1: it as, because in C20, there's very little, like that Bedlam chart has almost no bearing on Bedlam in C20. Right. Right. I think having points isn't bad because I think the points work for banality too. And actually, they got rid of some of the receding in C20 as well with banality. But
0: well, we'll have another episode purely about that, maybe. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, I do think yeah, having more more of a knife edge between the two, where it's like, okay, it's not a question can you last three sessions, but could you last three years? Right. That's
0: which rarely comes up in a game. But at least
1: you'd feel because right now it's basically are you going to take your nightmare dice to roll better on your cantrips? And if you do, when you're rolling with your nightmare dice, it just sort of happens unless you get rid of it eventually when you muse. And then there's a little bit about how staying in a freehold too long can be a problem too. Yeah, see,
0: none of that to me is horrific. (laughs) No. And it it
1: shouldn't be... I don't think it needs to be the triggers
0: need to be horrific. No, 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 no. It's the what
1: happens when you
0: gain it. Yeah, it's the results. Because it gets back to that horror element of like the sudden shifts in reality. And again, you have to make sure your player is okay with it. But maybe there's a bit too there's also a bit too much agency in C20s but I'll, in Bedlam. Yeah,
1: because I think part of it is you need a f- little bit of feeling of loss of agency for something. That type of order. I think. Uh, a,
0: a little bit. And I'm I'm a player who hates loss of agency in principle, not because it triggers yeah. me, but just because it's frustrating. It's like I came here to play a game, not to have my character played for me. And that's that's why I don't like it. Yeah, but that's a type of thing. I, like I, my favorite role playing game actually is diceless, right?
1: But I think yeah, maybe something in Bedlam with a bit of a die roll involved. Nothing too heavyweight or bog down the game, but like something where you don't know if it's going to be triggered, or you don't even know. It. Maybe it's something that St's rolling behind the screen kind of thing.
0: I think there are two easy ways to inject a little bit of horror into Bedlam, or into sort of the the path to Bedlam. One is just to have Nightmare Camaro randomly manifest. Just, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of nervosa pop into existence around you. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. And the other is to almost corrupt the very intentional things that they do. I think about things like in Ghostbusters, when they think of the one thing that could never possibly hurt us, and then a 100-foot marshmallow man appears mm-hmm. and terrorizes downtown New York. So that those two approaches kind of show the the insidiousness of bedlam and the kind of rot that can occur at the heart mm-hmm. of one's dreaming life and how it spreads and intensifies until it consumes you that to me is the creeping horror that it could benefit from if you wanted to frame it that way you could also frame it as just color and light and whatever but you know yep that also to to bring the circle way back that's, again, internal horror of glamour. The external mm-hmm. horror of glamour, I think of like Geisa and other forms of emotional or mental manipulation. That's There's lack of agency. Yep. Yeah, you can get the two different types of uh, uh,
1: chicanery versus sovereign.
0: The which... dawning horror of being out of control of
1: yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both Chicanery and Sovereign have a lot of that. Yeah. very One's
0: messing with your insides, the other's messing with your actions. But. Even Summer, amplifying emotions. Mm-hmm. That aspect of it, psychological horror again. Not only Changeling has that, but also Mage in connection to folklore because you have things like love spells and mm-hmm. all of that. Anyway.
1: Yeah, they brought in... A, we, we talked about the Galkunner yeah, Yeah. Before, yeah. and that was a bit too heavy-handed but i think you could rework that without too much difficulty into something that could be very good like a, a, a monster along these lines coming in but you know you could even if the game depending on the dynamics of the game that people want to have like these are things you're like motley could they could be messing with each other too
0: yeah yeah they, they're they the ones committing i mean yeah chicanery five is something that a player would aim for <laughs> And maybe not think about the consequences of their actions until it's presented to them. Horror can be very instructive. I mean, your rhapsody almost feels like the easiest of all of these to bring in for. It's the ultimate form of manipulation and coercion, or even emotional abuse, followed by mm-hmm. callous. Which it still is horror, and still bring in it is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. but but it's it's like horror with rubbing salt in the wound at the end. <laughs>
1: and it's also just like on the page right there i don't think we need to talk about it as much just because it's i think it's described pretty well in the book on how to use that
0: role playing out is tough i can attest to that yeah but it yields a lot of that both internal horror as almost like with vampire you know the players should think holy i can't believe my character just did that and then externally you're left with this shattered wreck of a mortal that you've created so and liana do it because they have to but other fey can still do it if they want to so it's it's the natural evolution of ravaging in a horrific direction ravaging is already horrific ravaging
1: yeah and that that one ravaging is so easy to have come up if you're just sticking to the glamour rules they're like okay you've spent a lot of glamour which nobody does well yeah but i'm just like well you spent the points you don't just get them back Right. Exactly. Do you have dreamers? Okay, we're gonna follow the musing rules. That's gonna quickly tap out. Okay, fine. If you have a five point freehold or something, okay. But there's the book of freeholds has some ways of handling keeping that more under control. So you're like you're gonna at some point just not have enough glamour. Yep. And you're gonna have and like okay, let's role play this ravaging scene.
0: Yep. That glamour glamour poor games lend themselves very well to certain kinds of horror. Glamour rich games lend themselves very well to entirely different kinds of art,
1: and a glamour rich game can become a glamour poor game if, if the players just spend it. On yes, it, it, it is kind of like vampire in that way.
0: Yeah, I think it can be very instructive though to have have a glamour poor game because if you if you kind of you don't necessarily want to force people into having to ravage, but when you make it mm-hmm. when when you start taking away options one by one it's kind of like the, the adage about the frog in the water that's being slowly raised to boiling. It's like, how soon will they recognize that they need to do something about this before they're in a situation where they're going to do something that is really not good, that they'll regret, you know? And I think that not every player is okay with that. Again, conversations with players are important, Mm -hmm. but it's very instructive. It's very, um, it makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm here for. And
1: I think and that's a way you can do with like full consent and openness. Right. Um as an ST. Right. You can say, okay, we are going down the the road to hell with paid with good intentions or the I don't know the the, the corruption theme of player characters. You can you can be okay unleashing invoking the weird You know, using realms. I know you don't have time, but you could spend an extra point of glamour there. You can do this here. You could have all these like more typical role playing game problems Mm -hmm. for your characters to face. They can be set aside. You'll feel like a god because you're just blowing past it just by spending a bit more glamour. Yeah. And then you're out of glamour.
0: (laughs) And becoming a god is not always a good thing for other people. So,
1: no, you can do the highlight of the effects of what you're doing there, but also encourage the players to spend their player characters glamour a lot. And there's ways of getting it back. And some of those start to become kind of gross. I I recommend you don't hide that you're doing this. You you talk to the players about what you're doing, right?
0: Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Set expectations and set them early. But I
1: find there's a big, especially with with things like horror, there's a big gap just because everyone says they're on board with something. Does it, you still need to do certain psychological tricks that you're still in front with yeah. to make it work and narrative tricks as well? And narrative tricks, I guess they're sort of all and mechanical tricks, yeah. but yeah, spending lots of glamour can be pretty horrific in Changeling, and needing to get more glamour can be pretty horrific. So,
0: yeah, I think that's all I had. That's that's all my thoughts on horror. Okay, so
1: once again, this is uh, Changeling the podcast. You can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. There's also a link to our Discord on there where you can speak to us about uh, lots of things. We're on Patreon uh, as Changeling the Podcast. We're on Twitter at changelingcast. You can email us podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can... Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, uh, changelingthepodcast.
0: And all of the above are listed in the show notes on this episode.
1: Yes. So once again, I've been Josh... I continue to remain as ever Puka. Until next time. You know, really let's go through these safety tools and be upfront when you're terrifying
0: people in your life. Or in the street. Just you know, if you're about to scare the living daylights out of someone, have them fill out a form on a clipboard and then do it. That's the changeling way. Definitely the Sealy slew away, I think. Yeah. Here at Changeling the Podcast, we neither condone nor condemn the use of horror themes in your Changeling game, but we'll remind you that for every little phobia or anxiety you've ever had, there's a nervosa for it lurking somewhere nearby. Yes, even that one. The human condition has plenty of fodder for horror stories, which is what makes them so powerful, but the human condition is also liable to be a temperamental sack of perpetually needy meat, so make sure you self-nourish and hydrate regularly as part of any robust and emotionally intensive gaming experience. On an entirely unrelated note, we'd like to, as always, thank the patrons who helped make our show possible. Derek, Raskaboos, Caboose, Sandshaker, Seja, and Terry Robinson. Please feel free to visit www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast to lend some support and get a shout-out of your very own, and or leave a review of the podcast on the listening platform of your choice. Until next time, keep on dreaming.